Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 179. We're keeping it in-house today with Rob and Adrian joining us to glide through the raft of topics which the Mercado team has been looking at this week, including the canola outlook for the 22-23 harvest, China's demand for red meat and how that's feeding into the profitability of livestock farms in Australia and how the wool market's been holding up through all these external market disruptions. As always, a few noteworthy movements in the markets this week before we kick into the episode. So sale yard land prices have continued to slide lower as supply just seems to be outpacing demand at the moment. There are still indications that processes aren't back up and operating at full steam in the east, which is taking a bit of a shine off the market. And looking to the west, the market over there in the last fortnight has really shown the impact of COVID and workforce disruptions to the meatworks. So just in the last week, heavy lamb prices over in WA have shed 106 cents per kilo, which is about 14%. And the trade lamb indicator there has also dropped another 71 cents or 9% just in the last week. So April is expected to be the next peak in Omicron cases, and it's also when we have a lot of breaks in the processing sector due to public holidays, and there will be some backlog to work through after that. So it's going to take some time for these issues to be fully ironed out and the impact to have ironed out. Now, on on Thursday night, the USDA released their March quarterly stocks report, which is typically considered a cornerstone in data for the coming grain season, and it didn't disappoint. So the actual numbers published were outside the average trade estimates and this gave the market the push it needed for another volatile night. So in short, corn acres came in well below the trade estimates while beans came in well above. The wheat area was lower than the trade estimate but still above last year. The corn market reacted by hitting limit up most of the night, as did wheat, which was at one point up 50 cents a bushel. But neither market could sustain that momentum into the close. Soybeans were also sold off heavily. As we keep saying, though, the market will all depend on how things progress in Ukraine. I'll leave it there for today and hand over to Robert Herman and Adrian Ladaniski. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments are grass-fed from start to finish and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au Thank you. Thanks, Olivia, and thanks for the introduction. And today, uh, Adrian, you and I are going to be chatting about uh, the markets, but I thought um, one of the ways we could go about it was just looking at some of the articles that we've been publishing in recent weeks and and, and perhaps flesh them out a little bit more. Um, so just to kick off, I, I thought, Adrian, your article about canola, um, it, it identified that the market has really risen since the uh, Russian and Ukraine war and, you know, well, pretty strong levels before that. How much has it moved in the recent times. Look, Rob, in the front end, uh, obviously because of the constraint and supply um, as a result of Ukraine's um, volumes, um, export volumes expected to come down due to the war. European prices have actually kicked off more than 31% uh, in the front end, not in the nearby futures. But if we look out more to uh, to next year for the 22-23 crop, 
Um, December, um, January futures are up uh, over 16% just since the war, um, Rob. Yeah, well, uh, it's, um, it's giving a lot of farmers here plenty to think about. Um, the, the, and I guess, um, you know, while from, you know, despite the tragedy and the, and the, you know, the terrible difficulties that farmers in the Northern Hemisphere, especially Ukraine, would be going through, um, it's generally positive for our farmers. And we mentioned that, we talked about that last week with Michael Whitehead, where, it's, where these things are generally positive. And, and what's really happening is that um, our farmers, Adrian, are, are sitting there getting ready to plant. Uh, they probably aren't that focused on what they're going to do with price because of that generally favourable um, situation where, you know, the market, it seems well supported. But it's, uh, it's an interesting time. We've been talking to clients in the last few weeks and, uh, you know, they're all looking at the forward price. Um, generally at this time of the year, it's a cautious approach because you've got to manage your production and the risk of things not going well. But then um, on, that, on that side, uh, a lot of areas have got, um, you know, really high moisture profiles. We've speaking to people in central Victoria where, you know, it's almost unheard of to see, think that they've got 100% moisture profile waiting for the crop to be planted. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time and probably a time to uh, keep a focus on the markets, but measure your response in relation to how your, your production's going. And so once the crop goes in and we get a shower of rain on it and it germinates and it starts to put its feet into the, that subsoil moisture, then perhaps some more confidence in selling forward can happen. And at these prices, I think Adrian farmers will be pretty keen to get into that. Um, just have a, I think, um, and there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about grains and oil seeds because of the uh, impact that the rush for the Ukraine and the Black Sea has on that. But let's just switch to red meat for a minute. I was looking at uh, Jamie Lee put up a really good analysis and article this week when she looked at China and Australian meat demand. It's a really interesting situation and, and mainly because of the geopolitical discussion that goes on at a high level and how that plays out in markets. Switching to red meat, the Jamie Lee article this week looked at the dynamics between China and Australia in relation to red meat demand. And it's a very interesting situation. Chinese domestic pork production was up 29% in 2021. And as a result, their meat imports were down 5.4% as domestic pork production displaced uh, imported meats. Unfortunately for the uh, Chinese pig farmers, the pork prices have also crashed. And there's also um, reports that there's a lot of loss-making operators out there. And it'll probably take a while for that industry to settle down, even though it is of strategic importance um, to China. Um, what's probably more um, disturbing, though, is even though last year's situation actually looked, looked fairly, um, ro fairly rosy, uh, is unfortunately... If for year-to-date 2022, Stein is foreshadowing that Chinese meat imports are potentially down around a bit over 20% um, for this year. Unfortunately, with the Chinese zero COVID strategy continuing, and when you, once you combine that with economic headwinds, um, it's just not positive for imported meat consumption, uh, particularly within food service channels and those high-value products. The Chinese demand is that is actually a lot more wide-reaching um, um, for Australia in terms of its impact globally. 
And what happens in China also affects our other key destinations for beef. So, for example, we've seen in, um, in the US recently that there's indications that Brazil might effectively subsidise some of its import exports of trim into the US market, um, despite a 24% tariff. And that could actually put pressure on the 90CL market, which is sort of our bread and butter. Um, they're really, and it's, they could possibly cut our lunch as a result of that. However, when we look at beef um, in terms of how we did last year in, uh, with China, our volumes were down 25%, um, but that wasn't necessarily as a result of the trade relationship or, or Chinese preferences. It was actually more due to our, our, um, our rebuild activity and our low slaughter. So, so once Australian slaughter um, figures start picking up, we're actually able to supply um, China to the extent that they possibly um, need, uh, volumes have the potential to actually to pick up in, in the future there. One important observation that I might make actually is, is Angus did an article recently on, uh, on beef uh, exports um, from Australia into China. And those volumes have actually been holding up quite well in the year to date. So despite the, um, the gloomy predictions from Steiner of low overall meat demand, um, that's possibly cutting into other proteins and, and other um, import sources apart from Australia. Um, Australian, Australian beef is still overall very popular in the Chinese market. Yeah, and look, it plays out a little bit um, into an article that Angus put up this week, which was looking at the profitability of, um, of sheep farms, including, you know, their wool income and sheep meat income. And, and there's no doubt that, I mean, everybody knows that we've had, you know, five, we've had some pretty good years, but the data that Angus was referencing comes from the Victorian Livestock Farm Monitor Project, which is a benchmarking project in Victoria, it delivers on the performance of farm businesses in Western and Northern Victoria, as well as Gippsland. And it gave us a bit of a snapshot that while last year, you know, we were mostly better than average in the 2019-2020 financial year, there were no really great moves, but it was sort of another year on top of what had been four good years. So we've now had five good years where the profitability of sheep meat has been strong. And, um, you know, it's great for our farmers because uh, it gives them the, um, the revenues to uh, build the resilience in their business, uh, you know, reduce debt if that's what you want to do. But it's also an indicative figure, an indicative uh, indication that this underlying demand is quite strong. And I was just thinking, Adrian, I was looking at your, um, your cattle report, you know, the year on year, the EYCI is still stronger than where it was last year. And um, I suppose we could sheet that one home to the, the continued demand from restockers. So, Rob, uh, we might as well finish off on wool. Um, the market's been trending down, but it's not uniform across all the various types at the moment. No, it's not uniform. That's right. It has been trending down, but I wouldn't say it's anything that's really seriously concerning for the industry. We know that there's uncertainty in economic, uh, economically around the globe, and that always plays in as a bit of a negative for wool. But um, what we're seeing is that the, the market is, is softer for um, the general wool types and especially softer for crossbred types. But then when you go to the specialty types of, you know, super fine wool, uh, wool with uh, quality assurance programs behind them, some of those types are really selling well. And, um, and we're seeing, given that most of our Merino producers would now have seen their micron shift a little bit finer over the last 15 years, 
um, they're benefiting from this increased demand. And, um, and I, I think, you know, we were asked the question last week, um, what's the outlook for wool? I think, I think the outlook is strong. And I'm basing that on the fact that it has been remarkably resilient through this tough economic time. And it's not just the economics of the, of the industry of the globe that impacts on wool. It's the ability to ship it, it's logistics, um, it's financing. Um, it's even the ability for mills to process and, and, and operate in these COVID times. So there's been a lot of things that could have in the past really interrupted and disrupted the market. Uh, that hasn't happened. So it gives me a bit of confidence. So Adrian, that's probably a good enough summary for uh, what's going on this week, unless you've got anything more you wanted to add. Actually, Rob, I noticed the workshops uh, uh, about marketing some lo marketing lower grade wool. I guess what are, uh, I guess a few tips and hints uh, for producers. It's a good observation. Um, it's a real concern, especially. Um, and I noticed that Andrew Woods made the comment this week that uh, there's more of it coming through to the market, and it's very cheap. And uh, I suppose a workshop is designed to sort of see if you can put a bit of focus on it and see where you can improve it's extraordinarily hard to do anything about the price but one of the things that generally happens is that if something is cheap and there's plenty of it about uh, somebody will find a use for it and so i guess that's a that's a glass half full look at the crossbred wool market um, when something is very cheap and there's plenty of it around you'll find that people will start producing all sorts of things uh, if they can make a quid and um, that'd be the big hope at the moment but uh you know, on the surface, it looks very dire. There's not much, not much light at the end of a tunnel, um, but I guess history gives us some sort of hope for that. So, look, uh, we'll wrap that up. Thanks, Adrian, for joining today, and uh, we look forward to catching up again. And if you'd like to see any more of uh, detail about what we've been talking about, certainly go onto the Mercado website and have a look at at the information that's there. All the best. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Commodity Conversations. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it around with your network and leave us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next time, have a great week.